Well, welcome to Be Humble Day. How many of you have no doubt that you are at least twice as humble as the other people in your pew today? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I want to talk about that today. We're in a series called Walk This Way, and today I want to talk about this idea of walking in humility. So why don't you take your sermon outline out. You can track along with me while I speak. For those of you watching online, we'll throw it up on the screen for you and got all that. Bibles there in front of your pew um, are there. If you need a Bible, would like a Bible, know someone who needs a Bible, those Bibles are our gift to you. Feel free to take one home or feel free to give one to somebody else. We want everyone to be able to get into the Word of God. Look at this passage from Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Would you read this out loud with me, please? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to do, act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's read that last phrase again, to walk humbly with your God. Now, again, in a series over the last several weeks, we've been talking about our, our walk and what does that look like. And this was one of the verses when I was laying this series out that uh, I remember reading in my own quiet time that really spoke to me because at the heart of it, it reminded me how we way overcomplicate this whole life of faith. Um, how we, you know, we get so lost in, in the details that we forget with God. This is a very simple relationship. Uh, God wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and Micah reminds us, what's God want us to do? He wants you to, he wants you to do justice, man. He, he wants you to act fairly. He wants you to love kindness and, and be merciful to people. And you know what? He wants you to walk in humility with him. Now, if we were honest today, there would be a lot of us that would have to admit that, you know, pride is something that we have struggled with from time to time. Anybody want to confess that? Pride is something that we struggle with from time to time, and it gets in the way uh, in, in a lot of different areas. Now, I, want to, I want to walk through, you know, if you think that pride may or may not be an issue for you, let me give you just five symptoms, and then you can see whether or not they apply to your life. Five symptoms of pride. First one is this, being oblivious to our faults or to their severity. Being oblivious to our faults or the severity of those faults. In other words, if I were to sit down with you and I were to ask you, what, what really are your faults? What are the weaknesses you have in your life? What, what are the things in your life that you know um, are kind of a detriment? Would, could you identify them? And could you identify just how severe they are? For instance, a lot of people, when we talk about faults, people kind of blow it off and go, well, I know I have faults, but do you know how those faults really interrupt your life and relationships. You know, when, when pride kind of gets in the way, uh, we, we develop this capacity. We can find the fault in everyone else, but it's a little harder for us to find the fault in ourselves. That's one symptom. Here's another one. Maybe you've had this one from time to time. Being resistant to advice or counsel. Being resistant to advice or counsel. Come on, it's just us. Talk to me for a second. How many of you would be honest enough to admit that you hate having people tell you what to do? Yeah. How many of you don't admit, I don't like receiving advice? 
especially when it's from my spouse. I, I, don't like, I, don't like them, I don't like them giving me advice. Well, that's one of the symptoms of pride. Now, Proverbs talks about this a lot, that you know, we want to we believe that we, you know, that we know what we're doing, and that's, that's a piece of pride. Here's a third one. The struggle to accept responsibility for failure. The struggle to accept responsibility for failure. Um, there's a, 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 I want to say cartoon. That's not what I meant. It's a comic strip. It's called The Family Circus. How many of you have ever seen that? You get, okay. There's one of my favorite ones that they do from time to time is The Ghost, Not Me. You ever seen that? Where something happens in the house, a lamp gets knocked over or pictures off the wall or something gets spilt and the mom goes, who did this? And all everybody in the house is going, not me, not me, not me. And there's little, this little ghost with the not me name on it who's running away like the ghost is the one who really did this. Well, sometimes Sometimes, can we be honest? Sometimes it's hard for us to own our failures. Sometimes it's hard for us to admit that we messed up. And when pride gets in the way, we tend to blame the people around us, or we blame the circumstances, or or we find somewhere to shift because it's just hard for us to admit, I blew it. I blew it. The fourth symptom, and this is for those of us who walk into faith. Um, this is a form of spiritual pride, and here it is. We love to meet needs, but we refuse to share needs. We love to meet needs, but we refuse to share needs. Come on, it's just us. Sometimes uh, in this journey, um, we develop this uh, pride, a spiritual pride that says, you know, I, I want to be able to pray for other people, um, but I really don't want to share what's going on in my life to have people pray for me. Um, you know, James makes this incredible statement in James chapter 5. He says, confess your sins to who? To one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, and again, this, this, but that's so hard for some of us. Come on, it, sometimes, sometimes we, we love people sharing their need for us. We love being there for people. But how about when it comes to when you have a need, you have a hurt, you have an issue, you have a struggle? Are you willing to be vulnerable enough to, to share that need with someone else? See, that takes a lot of humility. And frankly, that's hard for some of us. And the last one is where we want to turn the corner and really get to what I want to talk about today. And that is another symptom of pride is when we like the idea of God as a rescuer, but not a ruler. We like the idea of God as a rescuer, but not as a ruler. Now, I want to talk about that in these next few moments. Um, I don't want to talk about pride um, among ourselves. We could talk about that. That's a whole series about how pride interrupts our relationships with one another. But let me read again what Micah says. What does God require? To act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Now, what in the world would it mean for us to walk humbly with God? Are you ready? Let me give you a few thoughts. I'll give them to you pretty quick. Here's the first one. 
Let God shave you. Let God shave you. A century ago, there was an incredible Christian leader in China uh, by the name of Watchman Nee. Um, he wrote several great books. One of them uh, that I remember was found so profound was called The Normal Christian Life. And uh, in one of his books, uh, Watchman Nee, who was literally the one who basically founded the Christian church in China, and the church that's underground today is there as a result of his efforts and actually of his life. Uh, Watchman Nee was uh, eventually, as communism came in, Watchman Nee was arrested, he was put in prison, uh, and eventually he was put to death. Uh, for being a Christ follower, but the work that he did remains. Now, he tells a story in one of his books um, about one afternoon when he and, and a group of other guys uh, had gone down to by a river to just enjoy uh, some time together, and uh, some of the guys got in the river and were, were swimming, and he said none of them were good swimmers, and so they all stayed fairly close to the shore, but they were playing in the water, and uh, Watchman Nee said, as time went on, he said, one of the guys got out a little further away from shore and got into water that was over his head, and he began to flounder. And Watchman Nee said, people, guys started screaming because the guys who were in the water uh, weren't swimmers who could go out and get him, and everybody was panicking. And Watchman Nee, there was one guy who was, he, was, he was sitting beside up on the, on the bank that he knew this guy was a good swimmer, but this guy didn't move. And Watchman Nee said it was freaking him out because this guy's in the water, he's yelling for help, he's going down and he's coming back up and he's flailing his arms and he's going through all of this and Watchman Nee is, is, is looking at this guy and he turns to him and he says, aren't you going to do something? And he said, the guy watched for a few moments and he said, finally, he said, you could see the guy was getting tired in the water and he said, finally, he got to a place he could, he could hardly lift his arms and he, when he started to go down, he said, then the guy got up, jumped into the water and with just a few strokes, got to where the guy was and he drug him back to shore. And Watchman Nee said when they got the guy back on shore and they began to, you know, take, talk to him and everything, he said the guy was fine. He coughed up a little water, but he was fine. And he said a little bit later, he said he, he turned to this guy who was a good swimmer who had rescued him. And he said, I got to ask, why, why didn't you go get him? Why did you wait so long? He almost drowned. And he, Watchman Nee said the guy looked at him and he said, did you see how he was flailing in the water? Did you see how he was clutching and swinging and grabbing? He said, if I, if I had jumped in the water and tried to save them then, he said, he would have clutched onto me, he would have drugged me under the water, and we both would have drowned. He said, I had to wait until the guy finally decided he couldn't save himself. Then I could swim to him and safely pull him to shore. Same for us. Now look at me for a second. Please hear my heart. I love you, but you cannot save yourself. You can't make yourself right with God. I love you, but I don't, it doesn't matter how many times you've read the Bible through. It doesn't matter how many times you've gone to church. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you have done. It doesn't matter how much money you have given. It doesn't matter any of those things. There is only one way to be right before God, and it is what God has done for us. 
And each and every one of us have to come to a place in our lives where we realize no matter how good I think I am, I can never be good enough. What can take away my sin? You guys know the song? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now look at me. You need to understand this. If you've been trying to make yourself right before God, you're going to continue to flounder in the water. And if you keep it up, you're going to drown. But the good news is you don't have to drown because God has made you a way for you to be saved. You just have to stop trying to save yourself. Amen? You betcha. I love the passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Read it out loud with me, church. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. If I could just give you one gift today, it would be the gift of coming to a place of humility in your life where you recognize that you are one of those sinners that Paul was talking about and that you would humble your heart before God and cry out with your need for him. Because when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. You bet. Let God save you. Another step of humility is once, once Christ has become our Savior and we begin this walk of faith, let God lead you. Let God lead you. It seems that for so many of us you know, in this journey, we, we like the idea of God as a savior, but we don't really buy into this Jesus as Lord. And, and so often in our journey of faith, when we, when we think about God, it's like, yeah, we, we, want, we want to know we've got this big buddy in the sky who's kind of watching out for us, but do you really invite him in at the front end of the decisions and the conversations and the things that you do? Um, it was so interesting. I wrote in my, uh, my devotional this morning, I, I think it came out this morning, um, I, was, I was writing about Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus said, uh, that talked about the difference between the wise man and the foolish man, and he said, you know, the wise man is the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. And when he puts them into practice, he said he builds his house on a rock. He said, now the foolish man, he hears my words, but he doesn't put them into practice. And he builds a house on the sand, which doesn't stand up. That was the essence of my devotion. I told this story about a year ago. There was a 17-year-old Canadian boy who was in um, the Northeast. He was up in New Hampshire. And he wanted, to get, he wanted to do some hiking in the White Mountains. And he stopped in at the uh, Fish and Game Station, and he was talking to some of the park rangers there. And uh, they, he, was, he was telling him what he was going to do. He said he was going to do this hike through the mountains. It was a four-day, 35-mile hike. And they said, wow. They said, you know what? The, the conditions right now are really bad. 
Um, lot of, you know, a lot of wind, a lot of snow. There's a front moving in. It's going to go from bad to worse. This is really not a good time to attempt a hike like that. Well, of course, he was 17, so he knew everything there was to know, much like we were when we were 17. And so he decides he's going to do it anyway. And so the 17-year-old starts on this hike, starts up, up into the mountains, and he makes it 2.3 miles. And the snow is falling, and the wind is howling. And for any of you who have ever done hiking, man, when you get out in the weather like that and you are exposed, it is miserable. And he gets cold, and he gets wet. And 2.3 miles into this hike, he's, man, I've got to stop. And so he takes his backpack off. He decides he's going to crank up his stove to, to get a little heat. He can't get his stove started. And so he said, man, I've got to get out of this wind. And so he tries to get out of his tent. But it was so windy, and the snow was falling so hard, he couldn't, get, he couldn't get his tent set up. So he realized, I'm exposed. If I stay out here like this, I'm going to die. And so guess what? He pulls out a cell phone. He calls for help. He, 6.30 at night, he's calling back going, I can't go any further. I'm stranded. I, I, need, I need help. So he calls them, and the rangers get, gather a team together. They start up, mountain, and by 1 o'clock in the morning, they made it to where he was, and they got him back safely, back, back safely to the station. But the thing was, here was a kid. He heard what they said, but he didn't heed it. And I thought what was so interesting in, in the end was that the rangers decided they were going to fine him the cost of this rescue operation because he had ignored their advice. It cost this 17-year-old $1,300 um, because he ignored their advice. You know what? That was a great deal because it could have cost him his life. Amen? Could have cost him his life. Now, let's rewind this for a second. Isn't that how we are sometimes with God? Um, you know, so often we, we talk about God, you know, God is my pilot. But in reality, a lot of us don't treat God like the pilot. A lot of us treat God like the parachute. You know, I want to fly this, fame, this plane as far and as fast as I can. And when, I, when, I, when I, it's going to crash and, and it's going to all come apart, then I want to jump out of the plane and I want to know God is going to bail me out. What if we decided in humility, you know what? God is smarter than me. God knows more than I do. And what if we really humbled our hearts and allowed God to lead us? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on your outline. Read it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Look at me. And when he shows you what path to take, take it. Take it. Don't be like the foolish man who hears the word, but doesn't put him into practice. Let him lead you. I put him in your notes here on your outline. I wrote this. I thought it was just a great statement to keep in front of us. Seek God in the consideration of your decisions and not just in the consequences of them. Can I give you one more? Let God teach you. Let God teach you. Passage of Scripture, Psalm 32, 8. It's 
Psalm that says, read it with me. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. I love that. And you know how Ong does that? He does that all of our life. Isn't it a fact we never get to a place in our life where there isn't more that God can teach us, more that we can learn? That's why I wrote that on your outline. The more you truly learn, the more you realize just how much more there is that you don't know. One of, my, uh, one of my favorite memories is um, several years back when Wanda and I were, were living in Kansas, um, and I was a, a pastor up there, and um, our son Ben was uh, two, maybe three at the time, and uh, one night I, it was my turn to put him down, and I, I went in his room, and, and I read his stories to him, and, and got him in his jammies, all that kind of stuff. And then we had one of those little wicker rockers, you know, and I sat down, and I put Ben up on my shoulder, and I was rocking him. And uh, as I was rocking him to sleep, um, all of a sudden, Ben leans up, and he says, sing to me, Daddy. Now, I don't get really many demands to sing like that. But, uh, but Ben says, sing, sing to me, Daddy. And I laughed, and I said, okay, Ben. I said, I said, what do you want me to sing? And he said, sing Jesus Loves Me, Daddy. And I said, okay. And so he laid his head down, and I, I started singing that old song. You know it. Sing it with me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And then I started singing that chorus to him. Yes, Jesus loves me. And I was rocking him, and I thought he was almost asleep. And all of a sudden, he lurches back, and he said, Sing the rest of the song to me, Daddy. And I said, well, son, that's, that's it. That's all there is. And he said, no, Daddy, I want to hear the rest of the song. And I said, well, Ben, that's it. Jesus loves me, this I know. And he said, no, Daddy, there's more. I want to hear the rest of the song. And I said, son, your father's a pastor. You know, I, I know these things. You know, that's the song. Jesus loves me, this I know. If you want me to sing it again, I'll sing it again. He said, no, Daddy, I want to hear the rest of the song. I said, well, do you know the rest of the song? He said, yeah. I said, well, then you sing it. He said, okay. He lays his head down. I start rocking. He starts singing. Jesus loves me. When I'm good, when I do the things I should, and Jesus loves me when I'm bad, though it makes him very sad. And then he sang the chorus. Yes, Jesus loves me. As rocking in my ship. Ben, that was amazing. Where, where did you learn that? And he leans up and he goes, I learned it in Sunday school, Daddy. Miss Belinda taught it to me. And he throws his head back down. And all of a sudden, really excited, he jumps back up and he goes, Daddy, you ought to go to Sunday school. Because <laughs> Sunday school is where you learn the rest of the song. And daddies, we should go to Sunday school. You see, I don't care if you're a pastor or 
teacher or grown up in the church, you'll never learn all there is that God wants to teach you. It's so sad to me how along the way sometimes we, we develop this attitude that Bible reading, Bible study, and learning is for those who are young in the faith. Because I'm going to tell you, I've discovered what I wrote in my outline, and that is the more I learn about God, the more I realize how much more there is that I just don't know. I've had the privilege uh, through my life of, of having several giants along my path, people who um, have just been great models for me. And there, there's one I thought about when I was, I was writing this. Throw that picture up on the screen. Who knows that lady? Creatures, I know you know, know her. That's Ann Smith. Ann's 96 years old now. Her and her husband Nathan were missionaries to Japan for about 30 years. They live in, uh, she lives in Anderson, Indiana. Nathan died some years back. Um, Nathan and Ann kind of, uh, they, were, they were great friends to Wanda and I. And after Nathan passed, Wanda and I used to visit Ann there in Anderson when we'd be in town. And do you know what I was always amazed by? How fresh Ann Smith's faith always was. How she would always have something sharing that she would share that was recent and fresh and something that God had just taught her. And I, I saw her the last time, I think it's been five or six years ago, back probably when she was 90, 91. And, and I'll never forget standing there talking to her and she was telling me about this book she had just read and these new insights she had just made. And, and you would have thought that Anne was a brand new babe in Christ, discovering Christianity for the very first time. But she was a young soul in an old body and has learned you're never too old to have God teach you. Look at me. I love you. But there is so much God wants to impart to us. Walking humbly with God is this concept. I will never stop learning. Amen. Amen. Let me give you one more. Let God change you. Let God change you. Just like we never stop learning, there is a continued work in our lives that God always wants to do. I love some of you have seen the old or read the old quote by Michelangelo when he was asked a question. He had created this beautiful sculpture of an angel out of this big slab of marble. And someone asked the question, you know, Michael, how, how, did, how did you do this? You know, how did you, how did you, you know, make this angel? And Michelangelo said, I saw the angel in this slab of marble and I chiseled away until I set him free. What a beautiful picture. And isn't that exactly what God does in us? Look at me. Don't miss this. God sees amazing things in you. God sees from the very beginning the man or woman of God that you can be. And so from the beginning of your walk with him till the end, God chisels away and chisels away and chisels away and works change after change, setting free that man or woman that he created you to be. And it is an ongoing work. I, I love what um, 
uh, what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Read it, read it with me. Paul said, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day Christ Jesus returns. What's he say? Don't, don't miss. Paul said, you know, that work that God began, when you committed your life to him, when you accepted him as your savior and you invited him in, God began to chisel away. And Paul said, he's going to keep chiseling away. He's going to keep chiseling and chiseling and chiseling. And he's, he's going to keep working at you. He's going to keep chipping away all of that stuff that is not of him to set free that you that he created you to be. And when does that stop? On the day Christ Jesus returns. Let God change you. You know, some people say, you know, I, I need a sign from God. Can I give you one? Throw it up on the screen. There you go. Under construction. Christian under construction. And you know what? We could make that into a patch and we could wear that every day for the rest of our lives because that's how long God is going to continue to work his work in our hearts and lives. Amen. I'm going to ask Rachel to come on back. And Rachel's going to lead us in a song. And this morning, we're going to respond with communion. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you would, go ahead and take your cups out. And go ahead and peel that cellophane back and take that little wafer out. You can peel the top back and get your juice ready to drink in just a moment. But Rachel's going to lead us in this, this beautiful song that says, Jesus, I need you. Micah said, you know, this walk of faith is... It's really simple. What's God want? He wants you to act justly. He wants you to love mercy. And he wants you to walk humbly with God. If God could speak directly to you today and say, my child, this is, this is one way I need you to walk a little more humbly than you are. What would it be? You know, for some of us, it may be that very first step of faith, which is inviting Christ in to be the Savior of our life. For, for some of us, maybe we've been making decisions all on our own and making choices without really consulting God. And maybe, maybe our step of humility is to say, Lord, I, I need you to lead me. For some of us, maybe our walk has grown a bit stale or a bit boring and Maybe we felt like we've come to a place where I've learned everything there is to learn. And maybe our walk of step of humility is, Lord, I need you to teach me. And for every single one of us in this room, come on, it's us. If God could sit down with you right now and say, there's one area of your life I really need to change. What would that be? Do you have the humility this morning to surrender that to him? These elements you hold in your hand today, they are the evidence of God's great love for you. He wants to do more in you and through you than you have ever imagined. And this morning, my prayer for you is that you'll let him.
While Rachel leads us in this, make this your personal time of worship. And from your heart, whatever your heart cry is, pray that out loud and say, God, and just say, Lord, I need you with all my heart. I need you. Our fathers, we come before you today. We, we hold in our hands the visible reminders of your love. A body that was beaten, broken, pierced, and blood that was spilled out on our behalf. Long before it ever dawned on us that we should love you, you already loved us. And you saw within us the people that you had created us to be. Your word says that you did this so that we might be conformed to the image of your son. And we find that you shaped that image a little bit more every single day. Father, today I pray for those who are inviting you into their heart for the very first time. They're tired of trying to save themselves. They're tired of floundering. They're tired of trying and failing and trying and failing. And Lord, we come before you today and confess our need. We can't save ourselves. But you have offered Christ on our behalf to save us. And how we thank you for that grace. We need that same grace, Lord, for you to lead us. Give us the wisdom to invite you in at the beginning of our decisions and not the end. Help us to be people, Lord, who bring you in into the considerations of our life and not crying out to you simply in the consequences of our life. Lord, give us the humility to let you teach us. No matter how long we've walked in this faith, I believe there are things you want to teach us still. Keep our hearts open and tender. And Father, change us. It's so easy to get in a rut and say that that's just how we are. But Paul says in Corinthians that we are being constantly changed into your likeness with an ever-increasing glory. So God, pour out a little bit more of that glory upon us today. We lay before you the changes that you are nudging us about. And whatever it is, Lord, would would you chisel that away so that we look a little less like us and we look a little more like you? Teach us the art of choosing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly with you. In your precious name we pray. And everyone said,